This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Kia ora, welcome to Bookends with Maureen Wright and Ruth Todd. Juliet Basson is with us today with a reflective look at the art of ageing, of getting older. And Cook Island writer Maria Samuela is here with her collection of short stories and talks with Maureen. She begins with a reading. The promotion. Could have stood on the doorstep, barefoot and drunk, a brown paper bag tucked under his arm. He didn't recognise Taki at first, but the shape of his father's eyes looked familiar. Could his slim build must have come from his mother's side. Taki had a pot belly, and could his belly was flat and taut, his skin as dark as his outlook. Either the sun in Wellington had been blocked by skyscrapers that drew long shadows on the footpaths and roads, or Taki always dressed in too many layers, his skin shielded from natural light. Also, it was hard to be touched by the sun's rays when you spent your days toiling inside a concrete abattoir. So his father's complexion, which Kuda had been told was once as rich in colour as the most fertile soil, had become sallow. A grey cortina with tinted windows was idling on the road behind them. Kuda turned in time to see the car roll down the street, heard it beep twice. Then his father was coaxing him into the house clicking the front door, feeling his fate. Kiorana, son, could have flinched at the word son. His father's wife, too, greeted him and pulled him into her arms, and he felt his body stiffening like the trunk of a coconut tree. When he was a boy, he used to wrap himself around the tallest tree outside his grandparents' house, the rough edges scraping against the insides of his thighs as he climbed to its peak. At the top, he took his ankles, hugging the trunk, his backside protruding, naked toes erect. He'd looked down over the coastal village, searching beyond the horizon. Ku introduced him to his younger brothers, Abe, Moses and Joseph. They mumbled hello and shook his hand with limp, awkward wrists. His sister, Medea, lifted baby Teresa to his face and he hesitated before holding her, keeping her re- wriggling body at arm's length. Her legs dangled uselessly in front of him, but eventually he softened at her gurgling and rested her tiny body against his chest, planted a clumsy kiss on her cheek. He felt her recoil at the whiff of beer on his breath, and he panicked and passed her back. Abe, said to, go get your brother some socks, clean socks. Could have felt the heat rising in his face. He loathed the attention, and also it meant that his father's wife had noticed his bare feet. Possibly, she thought, he owned no shoes of his own, had none of the basic belongings her own children took for granted. He stared down at his feet. They were flat and wide, and though you couldn't tell by looking at them, his toes were turning numb. Two spoke to him in Cook Island's Māori, and when he responded... He could tell by their raised eyebrows his siblings were impressed. He guessed they knew only English. He let Tu lead him through the sitting room and into the dining room where the table was set with the family's best crockery. 
he had noticed the gaps in the cabinet beside the fireplace where ceramic plates were displayed like works of art. The other children in the family, he noticed, used the plates from the kitchen cupboards. That was Maria Samuela reading from her first collection of short stories, Beats of the Pa'u. Maria has an MA from the International Institute of Modern Letters and has had her short stories published in many literary journals. In 2019, her story, Bluey, was shortlisted for the Commonwealth Short Story Prize, and in 2020, another work was longlisted. She was born in Wellington and is of Cook Island descent. Kia orana, Maria. Kia orana, Maren. Tell me what drew you to writing. Have you always been a teller of tales, a listener to tales? Yeah, I've I've wanted to be a writer for a long time, um, since I was at school. Um, And, I mean, I started writing for children 20 years ago, so writing for adults is um, quite a new thing for me. Um, But I wanted to be a writer for the same reasons that um, I wrote Beats. Um, And there are many reasons. So firstly, I mean, I wrote Beats because I wanted to read it and no one else was writing it. Um, But also, I think the world needs more diverse books that reflect more authentically and more accurately the world we live in. Um, Because I understand how empowering it can be to see yourself and the people you know represented honestly in books and how disempowering it can be to not see that. Um, and also with this, with Beats specifically, I wanted to show a side of Cannons Creek um, and communities like it that people outside that community don't get to see. Yeah, yeah and, and fiction is a wonderful way to do that, isn't it? Because it allows people to to see if they, you know, if they if they're reading it uh, closely, to see into those lives and to get a sense of how people feel and what um, what goes on for them. So you know, yeah. I, it's such a powerful genre, isn't it? Absolutely, um, it gives me the the. the flexibility to um, to use my imagination to to introduce those worlds to readers who might not be familiar with the kinds of worlds that I'm used to. Um, yeah. The story, the excerpt of the story you read um, is kind of, it's a great story to start the collection off with because you really um, are showing a lot of the strands of the stories that you're going to explore in different ways. Um, the experiences of the the Cook Islanders came here first and yeah. contrasted them, comparing them with with um, the people who, who live here now who are second generation. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I put that story, the promotion, at the start of the collection because I wanted the reader, not that the reader is going to read the stories in order, 
but I wanted the reader to have a sense of being welcomed into this home and into this community and family. Um, and so we have this character, Kura, arriving in New Zealand um, from the Cook Islands in the 1970s, and then his experiences are compared to his father, who came to New Zealand in the 1950s. So my parents um, came to New Zealand from the Cook Islands in the 1950s and uh, they met in Wellington, had a big family and settled in, in Porirua, which is where I grew up, which is where a lot of the stories in the collection are set. Um, so I grew up in Porirua in the 1970s, 80s, so I have that, that second generation um, Cook Islander um, experience. Um, in New Zealand, which I think is interesting, and I think a lot of other people will find that interesting, and to compare it to, um, you know, first-generation Cook Islanders, especially coming to New Zealand around the time my parents came in the 1950s, um, I think there's a really interesting contrast between those two different experiences. So, um, yeah, I wanted to open the, the book up with that story to give the reader an introduction into, um, into, you know, Cook Island as being in New Zealand around that time. Yeah, um, and you're right, people don't always read the stories in, um, yeah. you know, in, in order. order. Um, yes. And, you know, there's such a variety in there. Some of them are funny. The, you know, the two pieces you've written about the advice to to boys and girls, which That's <laughs> is, a lover of um, yeah, they're, they're wonderful. They must have been fun to to write. But then you've got sisters, which is really poignant. It's but very mm-hmm. heartwarming of of the women as they prepare one of their sisters. Um, it's, yeah. uh, do do Cook Islanders refer to um, that? Um, you know the the mourning, the grieving, as a tangi, like, or is there another word to describe that period? Um, they probably, I don't know if it's specifically tangi. Um, yeah, I don't know the specific word. Mm. Um, but that but, period where yeah people gather and. Yeah, there and is that talk, period where, where yeah. people can, and I don't think it's unique to um, Pacific Island um, no. families, but um, certainly that story in particular was um, inspired by the time my mother passed away, um, and I was quite young, well, I was, I was 18 when she died, and I just remember that week, the house being full of relatives, relatives coming from all over New Zealand and especially in, um, well, Kōrirua, there's quite, there's quite a big um, Cook Islands community in Canada's group, which I grew up in, um, and just the house thrumming with, you know, with my relatives and being surrounded by you know, by the, the love and the comfort of them and helping me get through um, 
my mother's death. Um, and I just thought that was such a wonderful um, experience to, to write about. And I, up until, I don't think I've read uh, any stories quite about that um, specific experience. So that's where, that's where that came from. Um, but yeah, so I did want to capture just that, that sense of community, um, that, especially around that kind of that kind of event. Yeah, you have absolutely, and um, sadly we're going to run out of time. But oh. you know, I think what what really um, what really came through to me was was the beat as you've called the the story mm-hmm. the beats of the life the beats of the language of the of the um of the continuity of of traditions and and of you know of of the 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 sort of background the cook island the strong yeah. connection back and the strong connection together so thank you for putting this collection together, for thank giving us for, a, a insight, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for um, thank you for inviting me to speak. My pleasure. The book is called Beats of the Pa'ao, and it's written by Maria Samuela and published by Tehiranga Waka University Press. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. Juliet Batten is a multiple award-winning writer and the author of 10 non-fiction books, two memoirs, three about the seasons of nature and two about ageing. She taught at the University of Auckland before working for 26 years as a psychotherapist. And her writing, her teaching, her art always reflect a deep connection with nature and spiritual growth. Welcome to the program, Juliet. Thank you, Ruth. Now, this new book, um, this new book of reflective writing, The Pomegranate Journal, tell me about the title. Ah, the title is because the pomegranate, what happened at the very beginning of this was I intuitively bought a pomegranate. I was on my way to a meeting with a group of women and I didn't know why I had bought it. I'd never bought one before and I took it with me and um, from that moment I got a message from inside that said, you're coming into your pomegranate years. <laughs> I had had no idea what that meant but in the course of the journal I discovered exactly what that meant. And what did it mean? Well, I began with the pomegranate. I just sat it on the beach and sat with it and did a drawing of it. And it seemed to me the most enigmatic fruit I had ever come across. You know, it's got quite a hard case. Yes, I've never dealt with one at all. Well, well, I hadn't either, Ruth. And then I started wondering, how do you open it up? Now, I knew that the pomegranate has a lot of resonance in mythology you know, the seeds of knowledge. And Persephone in the underworld meets Hades, the Lord of Death, and he gives her pomegranate seeds to eat and other seeds of knowledge and of wisdom. 
And I, I knew that inside there were these luscious seeds, but how did I get to them? And that became a metaphor for me for my questions about how I was going to age. Because I, I was, the questions came up as I looked at the pomegranate and I was asking myself, will I still be writing at 88? Like <laughs> Renee. Well, I'd be yes. in pain both day, day and night, like Renee, because I just attended her book launch. How long have I got to live? And That's right. What's it going to be like? What lies ahead? Here I was at 75. I'd just um, deregistered myself as a psychotherapist and brought that work to an end. I was feeling quite fit and well, but I had no idea what lay ahead. And it seemed to me that the pomegranate was a metaphor for the knowledge that I needed in order to live into the next phase of life. Well, it was a del- it's a delightful way of doing it and um, your writing and having the pomegranate to talk to um, and to refer to. Um, I loved it. And uh, I sort of um, also was a little envious because you had this lovely batch at the seaside and you really live in two lived in two worlds. So do you still live in two worlds? Very, very sadly, I had to sell the batch last year. Oh, I'm sorry, because that must have been so wonderful. I thought, oh, how wonderful to be able to sort of escape to another location when you are so uh, in one with nature when you were out at the batch. Yes, the batch was really the most wonderful thing. I had it for 53 years. And I planted trees that grew into great giants in that time. And um, I just would connect him with nature more and more deeply every year. And it was a source of great sustenance to me and also wonder. You talk about what nourishes and sustains you um, and give lots of ideas to other people to explore and to come up with their own ideas too um, but um, what what does nourish and sustain you most now? Well yes yes, I'm glad you said now Ruth because it's changed what used to nourish and sustain me was being very busy very active and going out a lot and now what sustains me is quietness and spaciousness um, time, time to meditate, time to be in nature, and time to reflect. And writing in the journal has been very sustaining because it's a quieter time for me, and it's a quieter kind of writing, which is deeply reflective. And it's a way in which I have the space and time now to make meaning of what's happening to me. So. Yes, I I got a lot out of that because, um, um, you know, I think it was T.S. Eliot said, um, be still, or someone you quoted in in this book about being still, and I don't like being still particularly, and I'm having to, um, you know, gradually learn to... um, not have to be at every concert I want to go to or uh, dashing here and there, and I'm certainly am doing much less 
act, much fewer activities, etc. I still love to walk, and um, but I I got I got so much out of that, and I think lots of people will, and that's really you've really inspired me to be more quiet. Oh, that's great because I found that if I was trying to live my younger life in an older body, it created a tension for me. And it creates right. dis- distractions and a bit of and some fragmentation. Whereas being still means that I can gather in the wholeness of who I am, and I can gather in the richness of the life I've lived. And um, it, it feels a very special time. Yes, I I agree um, with that. But you, in your reflections, you suffered quite a bit of pain, uh, pain, didn't you? And I was um, wondering how you coped with that when you talked about being sustained and, and, um, you know, being more open and receptive to your senses. Yes, pain is the great challenge because pain has a way of trying to drag us into its vortex and as if nothing else exists. And it takes, I think it's quite an act of will to keep a focus on what is good and what what I'm grateful for at a time of pain. And that means really taking notice of something in the day that will be a bright moment or taking notice of those little windows of energy and noticing what gives me joy and offering up gratitude. I, I have a gratitude practice, I just offer up gratitude at the end of the day. So that helps me to refocus um, during that time of pain. I'm not in pain now, thank goodness. But in that oh, time good. of pain, to refuse to let it take over my mind. Yes. Because and you focus on what you can do Yes. more than what you can't. That's right. Because pain has a way of wanting to take you over. And... and there's a secondary pain, which is when you start thinking negative thoughts and you inflict more pain on yourself with terrible thinking, like this is going on forever, oh, I'm no good now, I may as well sign off, all that awful negative stuff. And when when they're replaced with positive thinking, um, this will pass, this too will pass. I'm, I'm building in some goodness into my life. I can do this and I can do this. Then the balance you you start to restore some balance. I think this book. Um, I think the um, the pomegranate journal will help lots of people of all of different ages, especially towards their seventies, eighties, nineties, whatever. Um, as we all live a bit longer too and sometimes have, um, you know, happenings that uh, we don't very much like and there is a yearning. I always, I sort of don't have a yearning so much. I don't know what the word is, but um, I still want to be a bit active, um, but I still want quieter time. So I'm getting to know the balance mm. of, of that, I think um, gradually. I'm a bit bit of a slow learner, but um, your book has helped that and will help that for some of my friends too. So I'm um, 
really delighted that you've written this, Juliet, and you talk about divorcing your computer. <laughs> I loved that. Yes, yes. Um, less screen time and more nature, no, more green time. That's right, that's right. So thank you. Thank you so much for writing this, and um, I'm just delighted um, with this little book because I haven't seen one from you for quite a while, and uh, it's lovely to talk to you again. So um, really, um, you're, um, you've created a work that is part journal, part guidebook, and part poetry as you seek the solace um, of nature. And uh, I think we can all take so much from this book if we are still trying to be what we were at 40 or 50 or even 60. But uh, so thank you for writing the Pomegranate Journal, The Art of Getting Older, One Day at a Time. And that's very important. And it's written by Juliet Batten. And um, it's published by Ishtar Books and available everywhere and on your website. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.